0: Welcome to a bonus episode of the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks podcast. In each episode of River Talks, we explore a new topic related to the health, enjoyment, and protection of the Cumberland River Basin's water, people, and special places. In these bonus episodes, we take a quick look at a new topic or share a fun story from our region. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of every new episode. In the Cumberland River Basin, we are lucky to share a home with amazing biodiversity. From birds to bugs to flowers and fungi, our region is full of awe-inspiring natural wonders. In this bonus episode of River Talks, we hear two stories about our region's biodiversity. First, we will hear from the Cumberland River Compacts Program Manager, Jed Grubbs, as he shares his personal journey of loving and discovering nature and his grandiose dream of knowing every plant and animal species in the Cumberland River Basin. Then we will hear from Dr. Chris Barton, who was part of our earlier podcast episode about the reforestation of Appalachia's minelands. He will share about the unconventional restoration of the native and threatened White Fringes orchid found in our region.
1: Life in the Balance. Biodiversity in the Cumberland River Basin In October 2019, some colleagues and I found ourselves in Poe Creek Canyon State Natural Area in Fentress County, Tennessee. Poe Creek is a headwater stream that carves a dramatic descent down the Cumberland Escarpment from the Appalachian Mountains. Eventually, the water here finds its way to the Cumberland River. Most of us at the compact enjoy learning about the plant and animal species found in our basin, and Poe Creek is an exceptional place to do this. The trail here envelops you in dense corridors of rhododendron and runs alongside monolithic walls of sandstone. We identified witch hazel shrubs and sourwood trees, katydid, crayfish, and a native species of orchid. At times, we were sheltered beneath full ceilings of big-leaf magnolia. Closer to ground, the flora was decked out for the holidays, Christmas ferns, and festive red and green expanses of partridge berry. The Nature Conservancy purchased this property in 2005 before transferring it to the state of Tennessee in 2006. Surveys of the property have discovered over 300 species of plants, as well as an abundance of birds, aquatic animals, amphibians, and cave species. Nearly every species we discovered was fascinating to learn about. The forked branches of witch hazel have been used for centuries as divining rods, a superstitious practice rooted in the magical traditions of Renaissance-era Germany. The leaves of big-leaf magnolias were like enormous elephant ears. These trees have the largest simple leaf and the largest single flower of any North American plant. Growing out of vertical rock faces were coral bells, a species I'd only ever seen in urban gardens. Growing inside rock caves were Indian pipes, parasitic plants that can live without sunlight because they steal energy from nearby trees. Looking at this plant, you question whether it's a plant at all. When I was growing up, My dad made time each summer to get my brother and I into our country's national parks. Many of these trips took us out west, and this is when I first became interested in biodiversity. Our modus operandi, in addition to playing games of hearts, involves stopping by ranger stations to pick up pocket naturalist guides, those laminated fold-outs that help you identify common plant and animal species in the park. As we explored a park, we'd be tallying up animals. In Yosemite, for example, We'd keep track of all the mule deer, osprey, or jackrabbits we saw. It was a thrill to see black bears, but I even got a kick out of chipmunks. Seeing giant sequoias or a black-billed magpie was cool, not only because the species themselves were cool, but also because I personally had seen them. All this wild and rugged life became part of my own life experience and identity. We were sharing experiences, these species and I. We were in this together. It wasn't until I had a close friend fall head over heels for birdwatching that I began to realize how rewarding learning about species in the southeast could be. On the evening before he got married, he hauled me and some of our friends into the woods near his house and started calling barred owls. As multiple owls encircled and responded to us, I was spellbound. It was magic. I bought a pair of binoculars and discovered my world was home to cedar waxwings and indigo buntings, scarlet tanagers, and Baltimore Orioles. Once again, I was tallying up species, identifying birds reacquainted me with a feeling of connection to the natural world, and I felt increasingly enriched by the connection. These days, I indulge myself with a grandiose notion that one day I might know every plant and animal species across the Cumberland River Basin. It's an achievement that would take me lifetimes, but I enjoy this fantastic, out-of-reach aspiration. It inspires me to get outside, to keep learning. Aspiring to know more about the natural world is so literally life-affirming. Visiting a place like Poe Creek Canyon is almost overwhelming. There's so much life. Here in the Cumberland River Basin, we live within one of the most biodiverse regions in the United States. And our basin's headwaters in the southern Appalachians are one of the most biodiverse temperate places on Earth. Almost 10,000 species are known to exist in the southern Appalachians, and more are discovered every year. Of the thousands of plant and animal species that make up our basin's biodiversity, each has invested millions of years in developing a unique approach and acquiring a unique understanding of how to live in the world around us, the same world that, given the day, may be weighing down on or rewarding us. When we take a hike through a pristine forest or sit beside a healthy mountain stream, I don't think it's any coincidence That we walk away with an improved sense of perspective and an increased ability to meet life's challenges. Scientific attempts to estimate the dollar value of our biodiversity are important and improving. Insects, for example, are known to pollinate roughly 75% of the world's crops, a service worth up to $500 billion. Rarely do estimates even attempt to place a dollar value on the more intangible benefits provided by nature as esoteric as they may be to articulate, I think most of us recognize that their value is immense. As a result, even a staggering multi-billion dollar estimate can feel like an insufficient valuation of our natural heritage, and the intrinsic and unknown benefits of lesser-known plants and animals can feel overlooked. We live at a critical juncture in the history of life on this planet. The United Nations has reported that as many as 150 species go extinct every day, 1,000 times the natural rate. Current rates of defaunation, the decline in the abundance of individuals, may warrant even greater concern. Even non-threatened species are experiencing alarming rates of defaunation, which is causing, quote, negative cascading consequences on ecosystem functioning and services vital to sustaining civilization. These are crushing realizations to come to terms with. But I think we should take heart And derive a strong sense of purpose and knowing that in the Cumberland River Basin we've been entrusted with a globally significant immeasurably rich natural heritage. In online maps the organization NatureServe highlights locations in our nation where there are high numbers of vulnerable species and high value conservation opportunities. In the Cumberland River Basin you'll find one of the country's highest concentrations of still intact natural areas That are considered irreplaceable. Here we have both the need and the opportunity to make a difference. I believe that one of the most worthwhile things anyone can do to promote our region's biodiversity is to simply invest more time in learning into it. With that investment will come a greater appreciation for the region's value, a more informed understanding of its needs, and an increased drive to champion it. If you're interested in learning more about our basin's biodiversity, the best way to do it is to step outside. In the words of Zora Neale Hurston, you gotta go there to know there. You can head to Poke Creek, or you can head to your backyard. Wherever you go, please remember to tread lightly. You mentioned previously that you'd helped restore a native species of orchid. I had no idea that Tennessee even had orchids. Tell us about that.
2: This is not on mine land, but um, the white fringeless orchid was recently listed on the federal endangered species list, and it's uh, it grows in small sort of vernal you know seep wetlands there are very few populations of it left you know which is why it's on the endangered species list there are populations of it in the cumberland plateau there's a few uh wetlands we know of in in tennessee in the big south fork and um and there's several on the Daniel Boone National Forest. The ones that I've been working on were um, in Pulaski County, Kentucky, which is right on the edge of the Cumberland Plateau and the bluegrass physiographic region. It's a really kind of interesting place for plant species diversity. And these were three wetlands um, where, you know, the orchid had been known to occur and it's sort of vanished over time and nobody really knew why. So I went in and uh, the Kentucky State Nature Preserve Commission asked me to do a study on the hydrology of these wetlands to see if they were drying up. And, you know, the thought was maybe because of climate change or or whatever, these things were drying up and the plants were no longer, you know, able to uh, thrive in that environment. We did a little study for a couple of years and figured out that, you know, these sites were, basically precipitation-fed wetlands, and they were drying out, (laughs) and the reason they were drying out was because apparently they had been logged, um, you know, 20 or 30 years earlier, and this young um, hardwood forest grew back up in them, and you had all of these, you know, two, three-inch diameter, you know, yellow poplar, and red maple seedlings that were essentially sucking all the water out of this wetland and drying it up. And these are high in the elevation wetlands. They're kind of in upland landscape positions. And we think the, the vegetation around them historically would have been shortly pine and that burned periodically. And periodically those burns probably went through the wetlands and would kill, you know, the hardwood trees that would sort of invade. Hmm. Well, with the pine beetle infestation that we had back in the 90s, all the pines died and the whole area sort of reverted to a hardwood forest. And, you know, essentially the water just wasn't there to support the, the flowers anymore. So I propose that we go in and not clear cut, but go into the wetlands and actually thin them out, which would reduce the, you know, the water demand that those trees would have. But it would also, they were shaded pretty heavily by these young trees and it would open up some light, get some dappled light within that environment. With a lot of, you know, reservation, (laughs) the Nature Preserve Commission allowed me to do it. And we went in, oh, it's been five or six years now and did the first one. About two years later, we had over a hundred orchids. And we went from none to a hundred and then, we together collectively decided to do a second one of the wetlands and we did that about two years ago or three years ago and then last year it had about a hundred orchids in it and i was just there a couple of weeks ago with my colleagues from the nature preserve commission and between the two wetlands now there's probably close to 500 orchids so it's the largest population that we have in the state of kentucky and could be one of the larger ones, you know, in the nation. They only exist now in, you know, really Kentucky, Tennessee. I think there's uh, there used to be a population in North Carolina. There might still be one in Alabama, and I think there's a few in Georgia as well. But we're talking, you know, a few dozen populations of this species. So that was a really cool project, um, and we're hoping to do more. There's Several similar type of wetlands, you know, um, in Pulaski County, um, Whitley County, Kentucky that are on the Daniel Boone National Forest that we've started, um, in McCreary County started looking into to do some of this, continue some of this work. So it's sort of a real, you know, it, it took a lot of faith (laughs) going into an area where, you know, there's an endangered species and saying, I want to go in there and cut some trees down. And, uh, And we did it and, um, you know, it was really successful. But but the bottom line is we think that, you know, that particular ecosystem was probably a a disturbed, disturbance sort of regulated ecosystem. And by taking the shortleaf pine out, getting rid of the fire community and fire suppression, and that's probably what took it down that road to where we almost saw the end of that species. So now, you know, the Forest Service and the Nature Preserve Commission are looking at this, again, from more of a landscape perspective. It's like, what can we do in the uplands surrounding these wetlands to help it out? And so one of the things we're thinking about are doing some thinning and doing some short leaf planting and regular burns up there to, you know, for the long run to help out, you know, this wetland community and restore the shortleaf pine community that's essentially been, you know, definitely decimated in the Cumberland Plateau region.
0: Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of River Talks. If you'd like to learn more about exploring biodiversity in the Cumberland River Basin, visit our website at cumberlandrivercompact.org/explore. Thanks to the supporters of the Cumberland River Compact who help bring our podcast to listeners. Your support of our work goes a long way. From neighborhoods to farms, we are working to address the root causes of water quality issues in positive and innovative ways. Consider a donation today to help support the future of water. More information is available at cumberlandrivercompact.org donate.